0: Great song. Hey, we've got this middle school group that we've uh, we've started. Last week was our first week, and we're continuing it again this week. So if you're in middle school or wish you were, and uh, didn't want to listen to the message, but go with our middle school team. They're heading out the doors right now. and gonna do some cool things in the cafe, so if you're in middle school, feel free to to head out and be a part of that. Uh, We're in this series called, uh, through the book of Philippians, called Living in HD, and I wanted to start this morning by reading together uh, our text for today, and uh, I'm asking my friend Steve Biebrick to come up, give Steve a hand as he's coming up here. Steve is, uh, is our official reader today, and he's going to be reading Philippians chapter 1 verses 12 to 30. And, you know, I've been in some churches before that when you read uh, together from the Scripture, everybody stands. Let's just do that today, just for fun. Uh, let's all stand together, and, and you can follow along, or you can follow along on the screens if you'd like. And, Steve, it's all yours. Okay.
1: Starting in uh, verse 12, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely. Supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way Whether from false motive or true Christ is preached And because of this, I rejoice Yes, and I will continue to rejoice For I know that through your prayers And the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ What has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be exalted in my body Whether by life or by death For to me, to live is Christ so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, being without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle for you, for you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Thanks,
0: Steve. You can have a seat. I want to begin this morning by asking you a question. And it's a familiar question. You've probably heard it before, and in some way, shape, or form, you've probably tossed it around in your mind a little bit. But it's this question What's the purpose of life? What's the purpose of your life? You know, um, I, I've seen it answered in a number of different ways, but what is the purpose of your life? And so here's what I want you to do I want you to see if you can get an answer in your head. Maybe it's easy for you, maybe it's a little bit of a strain for you, but if you can, try and get an answer in your head and then complete this statement, I am living for, you fill in the blank, I am living for, how would you complete that statement? Well, this is Paul's topic in the second half of Philippians chapter 1, and uh, we're going to get to some of these verses here in a second, but I want to encourage you to bring your Bibles with you each week, especially over the next six weeks as we continue in this Philippians series. If you don't have a Bible, we have them at the Info Hub. We'd love to give you one as a gift, and when you leave today, you can stop by there and and pick one up. Well, Last week, we started this seven-week series that we're just simply calling Living in H.D., or living in high definition. And it's about living with intention. It's about being able to live with clarity. It's about having this confidence that as you live, you're living with purpose, that you're, you're, on, you're in a direction, you're heading somewhere that actually makes sense. And so as we look at these verses today, Paul is going to be talking about the purpose of Of life, But in order to better understand where he's coming from, we have to know a little bit more about what's happening in life. And so I want to hit the rewind button with you for just a second. And we're going to rewind about five years in Paul's life to better set up the context of where he's writing from here in the book of Philippians. Five years prior to writing this letter, Paul was in Jerusalem. He was in Jerusalem worshiping in the temple with his friends. And there was a group of Jews outside who really had it for Paul. And they, 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 they wanted him to, to just simply go away. And so this angry mob invaded the temple. They rushed in. They grabbed Paul. They drug him outside. And I mean, they really just started whooping on him, okay? I mean, just, just an intense beating. And they had one purpose in mind. They, they had every intention of killing him right here on the spot. Now, I have to stop here for just a second and ask the question, if this were me, okay, if I were in this situation, I, I think I'd have to be asking God, What is the purpose of this? You know, I've committed my life to you. I've given everything to you. And now I'm getting beaten down here. What's the purpose of this? How does this fit into everything? I I thought you wanted me to live a life where I was just healthy. Or I I thought you wanted me to live this, this safe life. I mean, that's fair, right? You know, a lot of people ask that kind of question. A lot of people would say that the purpose of life is it's health. It's to have good health or it's to be safe. But that was not the purpose of Paul's life. Well, the local Roman commander heard what was happening down at the temple, and so he grabbed his group of men, and they rushed down to break up the fight. And it had nothing to do with caring for Paul or caring for a situation, but this Roman commander, one of his sole responsibilities was to keep the peace in Jerusalem. And so they rushed down. They found Paul. He was beaten up pretty good. He was still breathing. Uh, he, he was barely alive, but he was in bad shape. And the commander just assumed that in order to get such a beaten, that he must have been guilty for something. So he grabbed Paul and took him with him back down to the station, and he had every plans of interrogating him. But this wasn't just some kind interrogation, like this was Jack Bauer-style kind of interrogation. I mean, he, he was going to beat a confession out of Paul. And so they tied Paul up, and, and they were ready to flog him, when all of a sudden Paul spoke up and said, uh, hey guys, just quick question. I didn't realize that you had permission to beat a fellow Roman citizen, and with that they stopped. And, and it was a moment of panic for these Roman soldiers because the law said that you could not beat a fellow Roman citizen if they weren't convicted of anything. And so they stopped and they kind of looked at one another and turned their, to their commander uh, to make a decision. Well, stuck with not knowing what to do, here's what the commander did. He said, well, here's, we're going to pack Paul up. We're going to send him to Caesarea, which is 50 miles away. And knowing that Paul could, could possibly come under attack, he sent 500 soldiers to protect Paul on this journey to Caesarea. So Paul was off to Caesarea where he was on his way to stand trial before the Roman governor Felix. Well, the next day, Paul arrived in Caesarea and went before Felix, but this angry mob showed up too. And they came to stand trial before, to to present their case before Felix, and and he had no idea what to do. Uh, He was completely clueless in the matter. And so instead of giving a decision, he locked Paul up in prison for two years. Two years. Two years. Um, Paul's off to prison, no conviction, you know, he's not certain why, nobody seems to care, but now Paul is in prison for two years. And, and, and I don't know about you, but if this were me, you know, and I, I'm just living my life and trying to live for Jesus, and, and now I'm in prison for two years, I, I'd have to be asking, God, what, what's the purpose of this? I mean, where, where does this fit into the scope of, of everything else? You know, I thought you wanted me to be comfortable. I thought you wanted me to be secure. You know, and a lot of people, I I think that's what they think the purpose of life is. It's to be comfortable. It's to be secure. But that's not the purpose of Paul's life. And so two years come and they go. And Felix was replaced by a new governor. And one day this new governor finally kind of got around to assessing the situation. And he didn't know what to do. And so he made the decision, let's just send Paul back to Jerusalem. Well, Paul knew this wasn't good. Paul knew that he had no chance of getting a fair trial in Jerusalem, and so he played his last card as a Roman citizen, probably one of the most important ones, and he appealed to Caesar. To appeal to Caesar would be like appealing to the Supreme Court today. You know, I, I want to I go to the very top. I want to I be tried by the very highest court, and so he appealed to Caesar, and as a Roman citizen, he had this right. And so Paul was put on a ship with a group of prisoners and sent back to Rome. And and to kind of make a long story short, this big storm came up on the sea, the the ship was shipwrecked, Paul, the prisoners, and the crew were stranded on this this deserted island for for, for the entire winter, for, for several months, until finally one day another ship came along and then took them finally back on their way to Rome. And so Paul eventually finally makes it to Rome. And he was put under house arrest, which basically meant that he was able to rent a tiny room where he awaited his trial before Caesar. And under house arrest, he was chained to a guard 24 hours a day. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, chained to a guard. The guards worked in these six-hour shifts. This is Paul's life. I mean, the next two years is nothing but uncertainty. I mean, if he didn't come up for payment, with payment for his room, he would be sent to the dungeon where most people died. And he's waiting to to go on trial before Caesar. He he has no idea how long this will take. And even then, he had no clue whether he'd be freed or if he'd be executed. And that's his life for five years. That's what it looks like. Now, I'm thinking, if this is me, five years, you know, prison, you know, stranded on, on this island, shipwrecked, two years in prison in Rome, chained to another dude, you know, I mean, I'm getting a little frustrated. I'm thinking, God, what's the purpose of this? You know, how how does this add up? How does this all come together with what you've called me to do and what you've asked me to be? You know, I thought you wanted me to be rich and and to be blessed. And and a lot of people think that that's what the purpose of life is. It's it's to be rich. It's to be prosperous. It's to be blessed. It's to live a, a carefree life and to be happy. But that wasn't the purpose of Paul's life. And so as he was under house arrest, chained, chained to the guard, Paul didn't realize it, but it was actually during this time that he was writing a big chunk of the New Testament. You know, he's writing to these, these letters to different churches, and one of the churches that he wrote a letter to was this church in Philippi. It's where we get the book of Philippians. It, it's a letter. He's writing a thank you note, and this church in Philippi had taken an offering to pay his expenses. You know, they had helped to pay for the house that he was staying in. They had helped to, to cover all of his expenses while he waited to stand trial before Caesar. And that is why Paul wrote the verse that was our Bible verse from last week. Do you remember we had a Bible verse last week? We gave you a card, I challenged you to memorize it. I'm looking for somebody who knows what it is today. Philippians 1, 3, I've got a prize. So who, who's got it? Who knows Philippians chapter one, verse three? Don't be shy, I've got, I do have a prize. Who's got it? Come on, Philippians 1, verse 3. Does anybody remember? Come on, somebody remember. We had two people in the first service. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. We've got one in the back. Okay, stand up. You didn't know what you were getting into, did you, Haley? Okay, nice and loud. Philippians 1, verse 3. What is it? I thank my God every time I remember you. Let's give her a hand. You're going to win the Genesis cookbook. And uh, if you didn't already have a copy, I have a quiche on page 73 that is absolutely fabulous that uh, I recommend you check out. So uh, we've, got, we've got another verse. When you came in today, you probably got a little card. And I just again, I'm just challenging it to, uh, to, to remember these verses. But uh, here's the next one for this week. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain for to me to live is Christ and to die to die is gain. It, this is kind of what Paul's saying. Hey, this is what my life is all about. You know, it, it's not about being comfortable and secure. It's not about prosperity and wealth. It's not about living an easy life. Paul's purpose for life was captured in the heart of verse 21. He was saying this, for me my purpose in life is Jesus. That's it. My purpose in life is Jesus. And and when Paul talks about the purpose of his life, I want you to notice that the focus is not so much on what the purpose is, but rather who the purpose is. And I almost think that would be a better question. Not what is the purpose of life, but who is the purpose of your life. And most of us would say, and I think if we were really honest with ourselves, we couldn't help but say, you know, the purpose of of my life, it's me. I mean, it's about me being blessed. It's for me to be happy. It's for me to be wealthy. It's for me to be comfortable. It's for me to be secure. Well living in high definition, living with greater purpose, means that the purpose of our lives is Jesus. It's Jesus. Look at verse 12. Paul writes, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Here's what Paul's saying. Let me be really clear about something, guys. Here's what I want you to know. You would think That as we look back to the past and the last five years and everything that I've gone through, that you would automatically think it's a tragedy. But I want you to know this. God used every bit of it. God was involved in every single detail of what has happened in the last five years. It all adds up to advancing the gospel. It's not a waste. It's not a wash. It all counts. And it's given me plenty of opportunities to tell others about Jesus. Living for Christ, as Paul explains here, means that you are obsessed with advancing the gospel. It means that you are obsessed with telling people about Jesus, and we do that in different ways. You know, that's why the mission of Genesis Church is to help people find their way back to God. That, that's what we need to be obsessed with. It's our responsibility as a church, as people, to tell others about Jesus. That's why we helped to give toys and food this past Christmas to over 100 different people with Christmas at the Creek. It's why we we gave as a church $4,000 to help build wells in Liberia. And I'm I'm excited to talk with you about that uh, in the next couple of weeks. We give in order to advance the gospel. It's why this church, you, gave over $5,000 to help Jeff and Kim Smith. This was our last pastor, Jeff Smith, and his wife. They are currently planting a church in Jeff's hometown in Missouri. And I, I thought you might like to know this. This was passed on to me this, this past week. Their first service, their first official service was this past Sunday. They had 200 people in attendance at their first service. All right? Isn't that great? And, and get this too. They had 12 first-time commitments to Jesus Christ and recommitments too. So I think that's good news. But it's about advancing the gospel, and guess what? You get to be a part of it. I mean, you get to be a part of what's happening now in Missouri through your gifts and through your faithfulness. It's why we've budgeted uh, $30,000 this year in our budget as a church to give beyond this church to local missions and to things that are happening around this world. And as as we give faithfully, we're trusting and believing that God's going to put some needs in front of us that he's going to ask us to respond to where he can work but it's more than giving dollars. You know, it's so much more than giving money. It's, it's why we're stepping up our efforts as a church to, to reach children and students. You know, we can't afford to wait. We share in this responsibility as God's church in Hamilton County to reach children and to reach students. Uh, just some facts on that. Did you know, I, I was looking at some research this past week, research indicates that 70 percent of teens today who are involved in a church group will stop going to church within two years of their high school graduation. They're out, 70%. One denomination recently reported that between 94 and 95% of their students were going off to college and abandoning the faith. I mean, this is unacceptable. Like, this, this has to break us. And it, it's easy for some people to say, well, you know what? They'll come back. You know, kids are kids. They graduate. They sow some wild oats they do the college thing, they'll come back when they get married and have kids. Should we forget about the fact that people are choosing, you know, who they're going to marry, and they're having kids, and they're choosing a career? I mean, these are, these are important times, and we can't just afford to turn our, our heads to this issue. We can't ignore it. I mean, we have to be committed to reaching children and students and teaching them about Jesus. I mean, parents are solely responsible, or, or, ha- have the most important responsibility in this, but as a church, we're responsible too. We partner with parents in teaching kids about Jesus. And we can't just talk about helping people find their way back to God. It has to be what we're about. It has to be what we're about. We have to tell others about Jesus. It's about advancing the gospel as Paul describes. And he was all about advancing this this, the gospel. Look at verse 13. It says, As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. I mean, this is Paul's situation. The purpose of his life was Jesus, and because of the situation that he found him in, being chained to another guard, God was working in that situation to advance the gospel. Okay, let's look at it like this. So he's chained, all right? And it's a chain, maybe three to four feet long. He's chained to a different guard every four to six hours, 24 hours a day. Now, the palace guard, which he talks about, was an elite group of military soldiers. Some say as many as 12,000 of the finest Best looking men in all of the, the Roman Empire who were hand-picked to be a part of this prestigious Palace Guard. Well, after spending a number of years in the guard, soldiers from the Palace Guard would be transferred to prestigious positions throughout the empire and would proceed up through the government as well and, and would assume various positions of, of political power. Paul wasn't just chained to any soldier. He was chained to the future leaders of the Roman Empire, and God knew it. And one commentator put it this way. Paul wasn't chained to them. They were chained to Paul. And every day for six hours with a different soldier, Paul had the opportunity to share. And that's how Paul saw it. Now, look at the interesting phrase here in verse 14. Notice what Paul says. He says, because of my chains. Because of my chains. I mean, the very thing that you think would keep Paul from fulfilling his purpose was the means that God used to accomplish Paul's purpose in life because of my chains. And so here's the question: Do you find yourself chained to something that in your mind is keeping you from fulfilling your life's purpose? I mean, what is it that's keeping you from really living? I mean, maybe you find yourself right now chained to a, a dead-end job or dead-end coworkers, workers and, and you can't take it. You're, you're tired. You pray, God, get me out of this. Get me out of this job. Help me to find something else. But maybe God has you there in that place so that he can accomplish his purpose through you. Maybe. Or, or maybe you're, you're chained to a bad marriage. You know, Mary, maybe you're married to a spouse that you don't even love and respect. And to be real honest, you're just not even attracted to them anymore. And you're thinking, being chained to this marriage is really keeping me from being happy. It, it's ruining my life. But maybe God has a greater purpose for you than just happiness. I mean, maybe God, through your marriage, wants to teach you holiness and he wants to teach you commitment. Or, or maybe it has reached the point where divorce is so common in your family and in your past that God is working through you in your life, and your home, to make sure that that, 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 that that line of divorce ends with your house, that, that it finally comes to an end. And maybe that's what God's doing. Or maybe you're chained to a friend with a bad attitude and you just wish that they would find another friend, you know, because you're tired of hearing them gripe and complain all the time. But maybe God has you in that friend's life for a purpose so that His love can be shown through you. Or maybe you're chained to a rebellious child or a broken down car or a house that won't sell. And you're thinking, God, what's happening to me? I mean, I thought you wanted me to be comfortable and happy. And maybe it's in this that, that God wants to use this situation so that he can be glorified through your life as, as others watch you trust God that he's going to get you through this. Or maybe you're chained to a broken down body right now. It's not acting and reacting the way that you would like it to. And you've been chained to this body so that you know, God can be glorified in your life. Someone once said that sometimes Christians get cancer so that others can see what living with hope looks like. Even our greatest obstacles can provide the greatest opportunities to show the world the God that we serve. Handel wrote the Hallelujah Chorus. You've maybe heard that chorus before. Uh, I won't sing it for you. But uh, his health and his finances were failing as he wrote it. Uh, the right side of his body was paralyzed, his money was gone, he was in debt, he was threatened with imprisonment, and it was then that he sat down and penned the words to the famous performance Messiah. You know, sometimes the chains that we curse are God's greatest gifts in allowing us to accomplish our purpose for Him. I mean, it To believe that God literally maybe gives us chains at times so that he can accomplish his purpose in our life. And so maybe it looks like this. I mean, don't assume that because you got cut from your basketball team or that because you're not making good grades or because your first love dumped you, don't assume that God's not working in your life. Or don't assume that because you got transferred or because you lost your job or because your child has been diagnosed with an illness or because you've heard that your company is just completely going under, that somehow and in some way that God isn't able to work through those situations to accomplish His purpose in your life. Sometimes God works through those chains. Verse 15 It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. Now, let me give you a little bit of a backstory of what's happening here, just real quick. There are these preachers and teachers in Philippi who were highly competitive. And when they saw Paul in prison, they took it as an opportunity to advance themselves, you know, to make a name for themselves. I mean, they figured if, if Paul can draw a big crowd, I can draw a big crowd too. And so these men were using their gifts to share the love of Jesus, but they were also after some popularity too. And so what Paul is saying here is, you know, let's not get caught up in this. All right, that's not what it's about. But there's a phrase here in verse 16 that I wanted you to see. I don't want you to miss it. And Paul writes it here. He writes... Knowing that I am put here, it, it, it's a military phrase in the original Greek, uh, which I don't know, but books say, but it, it's, a, it's this military phrase that means a, an assignment, that you have literally been assigned to a particular place at a particular time for a particular mission. Paul's saying, I'm stationed here, right here in this house, under arrest. Next to this Roman guard, this is where God wants me. I I could not be closer to God's purpose for my life than right here. This is where I've been assigned, and that was Paul's perspective. It wasn't an accident. And here was Paul's purpose, verse 18. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. So now put yourself in this situation. You're sitting in this this house, this tiny house. You've got the Roman soldier chained to you. You're, You're the Roman soldier. What are you doing? I mean, this is in a very prestigious position. You're just putting in your time. And so you're probably looking around, and you're maybe looking over Paul's shoulder as he's writing. You're a little curious, you know. What's this guy writing about? I mean, he's on death row. He's going to get executed. What does the guy on death row write? Is he writing to an an old girlfriend or what? Is, Is he mad? Is he bitter? You know, is he scared? And so as this soldier looks over Paul's shoulder, Paul writes, yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given me by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, listen to this now, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Now, Paul doesn't really know if he will live or if he will die, but he knows that he will be delivered either way. Verse 20, he writes, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage. So that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And that's his purpose. His purpose was to exalt Jesus. His purpose, no matter what happens, was Jesus Christ. Verse 21, our verse for today. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I mean, Paul was saying, if I live, I get to glorify Christ. But if I die... My life and my purpose will be accomplished, and I get to be with Jesus. That's what he knew, and that's what he believed. Verse twenty-two: If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful, fruitful labor for me, meaning you know I'll get to be able to continue working. I can make a difference here. But yet, what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. And so Paul's kind of going back and forth saying, hey, if I had to choose today, I'm not sure which one I'd pick. You know, because what's better, to live or to die? But here's what's clear. Here's what is so clear about what Paul is saying. The purpose of Paul's life was not Paul. That was gone. He left that back on the road to Damascus a, a long time ago. The purpose of Paul's life was Jesus. Jesus was his purpose and he was consumed with knowing Jesus and he was consumed with making Jesus known to others. Now, it would have been easy for any one of us here to question God. And if we really wanted to be a skeptic or a cynic, we could step back and we could question God and we could say, you know what, what, what time lost? You know, five years in prison. You know, I mean, think of the churches that he could have started during that time. Think, think of the Colosseums that he could have spoken to and all the people that would have heard the message. Think of how he could have used this gift. I mean, five years lost. But what Paul didn't know was that even in that prison cell, chained to a Roman guard, he was writing a good chunk of the New Testament. The New Testament which has touched millions of people today and which we just happen to be reading here in this church on this morning, 2,000 years later. I mean, you never know what God might do with your situation. You never know. You never know what you are chained to right now and how God may be getting ready to use it to accomplish his purpose, not only in your life, but in the lives of others. That's why Paul writes, To live is for Christ. Look at verse 27. Paul closes out this section with an application to his readers. He he wants to make sure that, that we have the same perspective in life. And so, listen to what he says in verse 27 Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. I love the two words there. Whatever happens. Whatever happens. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And that's for you and me. Whatever happens, live for Jesus. And you might be like, well, what if someone pulls out in front of me? How about then? Does that count even then? Whatever happens. Well, what if the coach doesn't play my kid? You know, and my kid deserves to be played. You know, we paid money to be in this league. Whatever happens. What if my spouse annoys me? Whatever happens. What if my child frustrates me? Whatever happens. What if my boss completely overlooks me? Whatever happens. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy Of the gospel. Well, what if my team loses? What if my company downsizes? What if the way that things are going right now continue and everything falls apart in my home and my parents get a divorce? Whatever happens? Well, what if my spouse walks out the door? Whatever happens? What if I lose my job? What if I get cancer? Whatever happens, whatever happens, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. William Borden was born on November 1st, 1887, in Chicago, Illinois, and he was not like most kids his age because. He, he was born into a multi-million dollar family. His, his family owned Borden dairy products. Uh, you might drink their milk today. Uh, but this did not present him or prevent him uh, from receiving Christ or even being too proud to help others. He loved his family. He treated them with great respect, and he went out of his way to help others whenever possible. At the age of 16, William's parents sent him on a trip around the world for his birthday present. Now, when I turned 16, I was hoping for just a set of keys to my parents' car, and and I did when this kid got a trip around the world. Well, so in the summer of 1904 at the age of 16, William and a group of his friends and peers set out on a trip around the world, which they planned to complete in one year. And so they left Chicago, they traveled west, they visited Japan, they visited China, they visited India, the Middle East, and eventually to Europe. And, And William's eyes were opened up on this trip. I mean, everything that his parents hoped would happen, happened. And he saw the world as it was and, and as it is. And, and he wrote his mother a letter talking about his experience. And in this letter, at the age of 16, he made a commitment to full-time missions. He, he told his mom, Mom, when I, when I come back, uh, I plan to give my entire life to being a missionary. It was his heart. And, and, and so that's what he did. He was willing to part and to walk away from the family inheritance and to, to follow the fortune, or to, to leave the fortune for the sake of Christ. Even at a young age, William made a commitment that day at the age of 16. And, and records indicate, a letter indicates that he, on that particular day at the age of 16, he opened up his Bible and he turned to the very back cover and he wrote the date and he wrote two words. He wrote, No reserves. Well, his passion for missions didn't end, and in an effort to please his parents, he came home and decided, you know what, I will go to college, and being a smart kid, he went off to Yale, Yale. And, uh, and he spent some time at Yale in 1905, and almost immediately, uh, students and faculty had noticed that there was something different about this guy, that he lived with passion, that he lived with purpose, that he lived with, with a vision, and he was very passionate and committed to the Word of God. Well, during one of his semesters at college, he traveled with a group of students to the student volunteer movement in Nashville that emphasized missions. And while at the convention, one of the speakers talked about the great number of Muslims living in China. The speaker reported that there were more Muslims living in China than there were living in the Middle East even countries like Arabia, Egypt, and Persia, and this ignited William's heart. He was even more, it was even more confirmed now that God was calling him into missions and that a place that he had visited was a place that God was going to call him to. So William graduated from Yale. He had many job offers and including one more formal invitation to take over the family company and the family fortune. But he was determined. He had already made up his mind. And it was at his graduation that he wrote two more words in the back of his Bible On his graduation day, he opened up his Bible, he turned to the very back cover, and under the words, no reserves, he wrote, no retreats. Well, William attended seminary, and then it was off to China, just as he had planned. He went to Cairo, Egypt first to study the Arabic language. And while in Egypt, he lived with a a native family so that he could better, uh, better practice the language. He was only there a short time. Because tragedy struck on March 21st, 1913, when William Borden became unexpectedly ill. What was thought to be you know, a, a high fever just turned out to be a case of cerebral meningitis. And within three weeks, William Borden died at the age of 25 on the mission field of Cairo. Now, he never made it to China. His Ivy League education was wasted, his trip around the world is... His burden for China never fulfilled. I mean, this young man, having turned down millions of dollars for the sake of following Jesus, lost everything and died with nothing. And some say that these memorials were held all over the world after his death. As they learned about his story and they were packed with people, his body was prepared for burial and it was sent on a ship back to the United States with one small piece of cargo, his Bible. His Bible went with him back to the United States and his Bible ended up in the hands of one of his best friends. It was given to him as a gift. And he flipped through the pages and he went to the very back and on the back cover he found the two phrases that William had written in two of the most important times of his life. The phrases, no reserves and no retreats. But below those two phrases there was one more phrase that his friend found that William had written just moments before he died, and they were the words, no regrets. No reserves, no retreats, and no regrets. This was the life of William Borden. The purpose of his life was Jesus. And the question that I want to end with for you this morning is, who's the purpose of your life? Who's the purpose of your life? And you know, maybe you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you're here this morning and you know that things don't really add up right now. I mean, your focus isn't in the right place. You've spent way too much time making it all about you. Maybe today's the day when you kind of step back and you refocus your priorities to make sure that Jesus Christ is the purpose of your life and not you. Or maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and your friend and you kind of think you'd like to. You'd like His forgiveness. You want Him to be the center of your life. And I want you to know that you can do that today. But I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to sugarcoat the truth. Because I can't promise you that it will make your life easy. Instead, there's a possibility that you might walk out of here today and it might get even more difficult. And you might have to put up with some junk. And you might go through some challenges. And you might face some trials that you've never faced before. I can't promise you an easy life, but here's what I can promise you. It's this, that in the end, you'll be able to say, no regrets. Whatever happens, no regrets. Dear God, we thank you for these words this morning. We thank you for this guy named Paul, Lord, that you used in such a powerful way and that 2,000 years later, we're still learning from what he wrote. But God, that might not be encouraging enough. Because I know there may be some people here this morning, Lord, that have been wrestling with that question, wondering what the purpose of their life is. God, would you help them to see that it's Jesus? And God, I know there may be some people here this morning that are dealing with some pretty difficult chains. They're tight, and they hurt, and there seems to be no end. God, would you help them to see that even in spite of those chains, Lord, that you're willing to work and that you promise that you'll accomplish your purpose through us. Would you give us the strength Would you help us to know that it's about you? It's not about me. It's not about us, God, that it's all about you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.